We as the church of Jesus Christ have lost the call of being fishers of men and have settled with the idea of being keepers of the aquarium. The body of Christ is the single greatest organized force from heaven ever assembled. I believe that. I believe that we are the extension of God's love, grace, character, and by all stretch, the realistic picture of what heaven should look like. Why is it that we don't see that reflected in our culture and our world today? I want to venture out in saying this, that I believe it's because many have lost their passion of the pursuit. The passion of the pursuit. With us being a force from heaven comes the responsibility of walking in the power of the Holy Spirit entrusted to us. We are in essence heaven's task force. We are what God has used and decided to use and we cannot ignore this. We cannot. Every day the average person makes hundreds, even thousands of decisions. And the truth is that many of you make these decisions without thinking. We all do, right? You're in a car, you walk into a room, you turn the light on. You know exactly where the light is. You drive in a car, you, you turn the, the turn signal, you know where to turn, you know when to stop, you know where the brake is. You, you do these things without thinking. And maybe you're like me. Has there ever been a scary moment where you've been driving for an extended period of time and then you think to yourself, I really haven't been paying attention. And you kind of wake up, not that you fell asleep, hopefully not, but you kind of wake up and realize I've been driving this whole time and I really don't know what my, where my mind was. That's happened to me. I, maybe I'm the only one, but I'm looking at heads nodding. I guess I'm not the only one. Right? There have been times that I've been driving and just, just nonchalantly just realizing i just kind of been in my own world for a few minutes. And I'm like snapping back in. You push the brake, turn your signals, check the lanes, you do all these things. Seem, seamless like, like it was something that you were born to do. Well... Some of these decisions that we do, oftentimes in our daily life, we don't realize the effects that they can have with people around us. Is that right? Sometimes we can be affected by things and people. Sometimes we affect people and we don't even know it. And it affects our family, our health, our finances. All these decisions are made. And we think to ourselves, how is it that I've got here? Well, I've gotten here because I've made a series of decisions. Sometimes it's just one decision. Isn't that scary sometimes? One decision can change the course. But I want to tell you this morning that God is the redeemer of those choices. He can step in. See, in Joshua chapter 9, Joshua makes some bad decisions. And I'm convinced that it is one of the richest passages on how to approach seasons and things that happen in your life. Now, I'm stepping away this morning for a few moments from Proverbs to step into this passage because I felt very strongly I needed to go in this direction here this morning. Everyone has made bad decisions. Raise your hand if you've ever made a bad decision. Yeah? Some of you made just on the way over here or whatever. That's fine. See, in fact, we have a generation 
that we're living among right now that avoid the idea of consequences. Getting out of commitments is, is standard. And this is not just the young people. Come on, church. This is everybody. No longer committed like the way we used to be in some ways. And you know it. You know it. Other people know it. And you might be the last one to figure it out. Breaking promises. Breaking pledges. The real truth is this. That the enemy hates you. He doesn't like you. He never did. And he wants you to do a few things. He wants you to dial it in. He wants you to lay low. He wants you to fall in line. He wants you to follow in suit. He just wants you to not make any waves. Just go through life casually. Listen, church, that is not what Jesus commanded us to do. That is the furthest thing from truth. God never called you to settle, ever, with where you are in knowing him. If you've reached that epitome, if you've reached the pinnacle of love and grace, if you are every bit the person God has called you to become, then maybe this is not for you. But if you are slightly flawed, even in the least, maybe something will speak to you this morning. I want to bring a message entitled this morning, Don't Sign the Treaty. Don't sign the treaty. A treaty is defined as a ratified agreement between two parties. It's an agreement between two parties. And it would be in favor of the enemy for you to settle with where you are. Not moving forward and just signing the treaty. Just fall in line. Don't do anything that rocks the boat. Don't do anything that, that's different. Don't do anything that would change anyone or anything. Just accept everyone where they are. You stay where you are and keep your mouth shut. That's what the enemy would love you to do. But I'm here to tell you, friend of God, that's not God's will for your life. If you love someone, you tell them truth, you walk with them. You love someone, you care about them. You walk and you understand what that looks like. To allow you to settle for less than God wants from you, it would not be love. It would not be love. There is a wall affecting the body of Christ, even, yes, this body today. There's something that I've been sensing, something that has been happening to the church worldwide and even local. The local church, even, yes, us. A wall that has stopped us from walking in the fullness of God. And that wall has allowed you the availability of being comfortable without confrontation. Allow me a few moments to give you a historical background of my message this morning in Joshua chapter 9. Now I read for you Joshua chapter 7 a few weeks ago. We walked into chapter 8. And now uh, the Lord has brought to my attention Joshua chapter 9. If you have your Bibles turned there this morning. I'm talking about don't sign the treaty. Somebody say that with me. Don't sign the treaty. Don't sign the treaty. As you turn to that passage this morning in Joshua chapter 9. Allow me to read something for you in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Setting up. Joshua chapter 9. Are you ready? Say yeah. So here's a passage found in Deuteronomy chapter 7. I believe the media team is going to help me out here. Deuteronomy chapter 7. 
When the Lord your God brings you into the land, this is the command of the Lord. You following this? This is the command of God in Deuteronomy 7, setting up what, we, what we're about to talk about. When the Lord God brings you into the land, you are entering to possess and drives out before you many nations. Now it lists them by name. You see this? The Hittites, the Gershites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jezubites, and people who fly kites. I just want to make sure you're still paying attention. Seven nations larger and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you, you have defeated them. Watch this. Then you must destroy them totally. And God goes a step further. He actually says to them, make no treaty with them and show them no mercy. Right? Why does God bring up treaty? Why does he say make no peace? That sounds aggressive. God is a God of love. Let me tell you exactly why with every eye looking this way. Listen to me and listen to me closely. The enemies of your soul are not supposed to stick around. They're not supposed to have dominance in your life. They're not supposed to have a voice in your life. And he knew that the Gerashites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and all the other ites, they would not be helpful to them. And God says, rule them, get over this, steamroll them, take them over, and this is your property. This is your land. This is what I've given you. Make no treaty with them and have no mercy. Interesting. So we find ourselves understanding as God's people that we're not supposed to make friends with the enemy. That's not, we're not talking about love your neighbor. We're not talking about be friends of those who hurt you in person. That's not, not Jesus's enemy that way. I'm talking about the enemy of your soul. The enemy of your soul wants nothing more than for you to sign the treaty so that you wouldn't fight him on the very things God doesn't want for you. Don't sign the treaty. God said it in Deuteronomy 7, don't sign the treaty. And we find ourselves in Joshua chapter 9. Now we could start to put feet to this, right? Here's what he says in Joshua chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. We see in Joshua chapter 9 that he already defeated the people of Ai. Right? We read that a few weeks ago. He defeated the people of Ai. 12,000 people or so were killed. And, and they ruled this land. They took it over. And here he is moving on to the next thing. The next thing. How many have ever said, God, what is the next thing in my life? What's the next thing you have for me? Right? You ever prayed that? God had the next thing for Joshua. God had the next thing for God's people. And watch this. As they were going this direction, the enemy that they're supposed to take over, right? Decided to deceive Joshua into into pledging to sign a treaty. So what did they do? They got some old things. They put it on them. And they basically came to Joshua. And here's what happened in Joshua chapter 9 verse 1. Now when all the kings... West of the Jordan heard about these things. What are these things? Joshua taking over AI. 
ruling the land and moving on. He's steamrolling. God has a plan. He's going on. A, B, C, right? You follow what I'm saying? He's going down God's will for his life and he's leading God's people in this direction, right? So when they heard about these things, the kings of the hill country, the western foothills, along the entire coast of the Mediterranean, all the people listed, verse 2, they came together to wage war against Joshua and Israel, right? However, when the people of Gibeon heard that Joshua had done what he had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. They went to a delegation and they did a bunch of cool things. They put this whole thing together. It was almost like a, a, a drama. They put this all together and they said, let's trick them to sign this treaty so they won't steamroll us. They won't, they won't do to us what they've done to other places. And so when they went to Joshua at the camp, they said to him, we have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. Look at me. Make a treaty with us. Us. Not our land. Did you notice that? With us. Make a treaty with us. Now, what is that? Why does that matter? Because you weren't supposed to make a treaty with the lands that you're supposed to conquer. That's counterproductive, right? But the law did permit for them to make a treaty with lands that are afar off. And we read that in another passage. But we see this. So they said, no, 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 we're from right, uh, actually from a distant country. We're not from nearby. We're from a different country. And so make a treaty with us. Make a treaty with us. And so what's interesting is, the Israelites said to the Hivites, but perhaps you live near us. So how can we make a treaty with you? You are... We are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, who are you and where do you come from? They answered, your servants have come from a very different, uh, distant country. Verse 9, because of the fame of the Lord your God, we have come. And they started buttering him up. You see what they started doing? They said, we started hearing about your fame and your God. And we just wanted to come. And we want to be a part of what you're doing. Are you following this? And all that they did before the kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan. And we want you to make a treaty with us. And that's what they say there in that verse, verse 11. We are your servants. Make a treaty with us. Let's skip to verse 14 for a moment. The Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire. Listen, they did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them and let them live. And the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. They did not inquire of the Lord and they made peace. That, friends, look at me. That is the enemy's plan for your life. The enemy's plan for you is, people of God, don't think for a moment that he is looking out for you. That the world is looking out for you. The world in general in the mindset form. Not your neighbor. Not, the, not everybody's out for conspiracy theories. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Not everybody's out after you, but I'm telling you that the enemy knows that God has land for you, that God has a blessing for you, that God has somewhere to take you. And if you in your mind set a peace treaty with the enemy, what you have said is, I no longer want to chase God. I no longer want to do the things of God. I no longer want, I'm tired. If you let the enemy live in your camp, you will miss God's will for your life. And that's exactly what Joshua did when he made a peace with them. He let them be. He let them lay. He let them in the camp. 
The very people he was supposed to conquer, the very people and the lands that he was supposed to possess, he now cannot because his word of oath has been made already. It's done. No longer can they take that land. The Lord is crystal clear in his instructions. Defeat and destroy. There is an enemy out for your soul, out for your family, out for your spirit man. And some of us have just said, okay, it's just too much work. I'm here to tell you, fight and fight on. Don't sign the treaty. Don't sign the treaty. Don't give in. It was always God's desire to shield them from the influence that would exert this nation. But here's the truth today. Are you ready? Here's the truth. There are many believers, people of God that have signed the treaty for their family and their faith. They've signed the treaty. They've said, you know, I just want to do the bare essentials. I just want to go to church. I just want to follow in suit. I don't want to make waves. And there are some here this morning, you signed the treaty. And listen, you've conceded your convictions for convenient Christianity. I'm going to say this again. You've conceded your convictions for conventional and convenient Christianity. Why? Because it cost you something to dig deep. It costs something to dig deep. To follow Jesus costs something. Friend, I'm telling you something. Those individuals that have this convenient Christianity in mind no longer do certain movies, music, or even uh, practices. They no longer bother them. Things that are opposing scripture, movies, music, and practices. Those things that oppose scripture, they no longer bo- it no longer bothers them. They can listen to anything, it doesn't matter. They can watch anything, it doesn't matter. Convictions no longer apply. Got burned. It's like burning nerve endings. You no longer feel it. Still there. The nerve's still there. You just don't feel it and there's no connection. The church of Jesus Christ in many ways has burnt their nerve endings. For the sake of convenient Christianity. And this is a hard, hard message. I've preached this to myself all week. God, in what way have I allowed convenient Christianity to settle in? I'm going to tell you right up front. I'm calling for a response today. I'm not going to even hide it. I'm going to try to romance you or trick you. No, not at all. I'm telling you that at the end of this message, you'll have an opportunity to respond. Why? Because convenient Christianity is not the way it was supposed to be lived. Jesus didn't die so you can live conveniently. He died so you can live abundantly. And that abundance only comes by surrender. I hope somebody's getting this. Conventional Christianity costs nothing. Conventional Christianity costs nothing. He didn't even need to die for conventional religion. Did you know that? Did you know that Jesus didn't need to die for conventional religion? Did you know that there was religion before Jesus? Right? Religion was here before Christ Jesus walked this earth. Jesus didn't come for religion. 
He came for a relationship that unfortunately has been severed by this conventional thing, this convenient thing that us Americans, we call or label Christianity. I sometimes wonder if what I see, the way I see it, is how God sees it. I wonder. Sin no longer is a threat. Compromise has become perfectly acceptable. Oh, it's okay, Pastor Tony. It's okay. God knows my heart. I'm, I'm okay with this, Pastor Tony. It's my own conviction. I, I, I'm not... I, I want to be very clear with this. This message didn't come from any conversations with people. This has been something that God has put on my heart. And I feel very strongly that everyone in this room can take something away from this this morning. Because I have. I've taken many things to heart this morning. Was the cross that Christ carried acceptable? Was it okay that Christ suffered the way he did to set you free? Because I believe that every one of us would probably say the fact that Jesus did what he did was amazing, right? Thank you, Jesus, that you died for me. Most of us, if not all of us, would say, thank you, Jesus, for what you did for me. Right? Most of us would say that... With no hesitation. Absolutely, Pastor Tony, I'm with you. I get it. I understand. Jesus died for me. I understand that. But we're still on earth waiting to live life. Why? Because we've been distracted. Been distracted. I don't know about you, but I get distracted pretty easily sometimes. It don't take but a little flash of light that I go, what was that? It's no longer a squirrel. It could be anything now. Sometimes the squirrel is an actual thing. Sometimes it's not even a thing. You get distracted, right? You ever been there? You ever been so distracted that you totally miss something happening? And you're like, How, when did that happen? It's been happening for 10 minutes. Really? Wow. God has been doing something for a long time in this body. Since we opened our doors as a church, God has been doing something amazing. But look at me for a moment. I want you to hear me for a moment. God has called you to live up. Now here's what I'm talking about. There's culture up and there's kingdom down. Living culture up is synonymous with living for the things of this world, earthly things. That's culture up. Culture is important. Culture, and, and, and you know what? The, the, all the things that we do as a family supersedes anything that God wants to do. Anything that we do uh, with our money is supersedes what God wants to do with it. It's all, it's all culture up. Everything is about what the world has, what the world offers, and the culture, and the culture, and the culture. All right? Culture up living does not act or think biblically. But then there's the kingdom down mentality. The kingdom down is from up above. Kingdom down living seeks to think and act biblically. We got to think kingdom down. Not culture up. We want God's presence in our midst. We don't just want to go culture. Absolutely. Everything that the world says, let's do that. Because we don't want to look like weirdos. Right? How many of you struggle with that sometimes? How Christianity is uh, kind of like pursued and how people kind of perceive it even. And, and we'll kind of look at ourselves and go, I don't want to look like a weirdo. So I'm not going to tell them about Jesus because I don't want to be one of them. Meanwhile, they're on their way to hell. 
they're struggling with addiction with no answers. And you have an answer. And you say, well, I don't want to look weird. And I want to look strange. So I'll forsake that. And we think to ourselves, we don't think to ourselves, I won't set them free because I don't want to look weird. We think to ourselves, I don't have anything to offer. That's how we excuse it. We don't think to ourselves, either set them free and look weird, right? Or not set them free and really regain my image. Because image is important, right? Well, in a culture up mentality, image is important. But a kingdom down mentality, your will be done here on earth as Jesus prayed that. Pastor Tony didn't pray that. I prayed that because he prayed it. He prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Kingdom down. But we, as an American culture, we culture up. The things that the world sees and the world wants and the world does, that's more important. Distraction. You've ever been distracted like me? There's times that I feel like I need to understand what's happening because distraction is very easy, right? Distraction is caused by one of the following. And I found, and I looked up uh, you know, a couple of different ways that distractions happen. The reasons for distractions, number one, lack of ability to pay attention. Straight up, that's hard sometimes. Let's be honest. Sometimes just paying attention is difficult, right? I got a couple amens on that. Two, the lack of interest in the object of attention. Until you say something that matters to me, like money or sex, you won't get my attention. Some of you just woke up because I said that. Good morning. Say something that matters to me and I'll pay attention. That's the consumer mentality. I will go there as long as you tell me something that matters to me. If it matters to God, I'll consider it. It's hard, I know. Lack of interest in the object of attention. And the third thing is great interest or greater interest in something other than the object. So we can say, well, you know, I can... I can go here or I can go to church or I can, you know, and all these things. I can, I can be a part of this group that really I need connection. But man, I just, it's just too much work. I'm just going to not. Can I tell you something? Anything that's worth doing is going to take a little bit of sacrifice. And sometimes a lot of sacrifice. Anything worth doing. I'm not getting a lot of amens. I didn't pray. I didn't put this message together for amens anyway. So thank God for that. I realize that distraction is very, very, it's a, it's a tough subject because we've all been distracted and, and we all have fallen short because of distraction. There's a story involved in Yogi Berra, the well-known catcher of the New York Yankees, and Hank Aaron, who was one time a chief power hitter for the Milwaukee Braves at the time. The teams were playing in the World Series and uh, as usual, Yogi was keeping up his ceaseless chatter, intended to pep up his teammates on one hand and, and distract the Milwaukee batters on the other. He was known for this. If you know anything about Yogi Bear, he was known for chatting. Yogi tried to distract Hank Aaron one day and he said, Henry, you're holding the bat wrong. You're supposed to hold it so you can read the trademark. Started getting in his head. Aaron didn't say anything, but when the next pitch came, he hit it into the left field bleachers. He rounded the bases after hitting this home run, and he looked over at Yogi, and he says, I didn't come here to read. (laughs) 
Distractions. Distractions. I didn't come here to read. Friends, I didn't come here to get a a powerful amen from you. I came to bring you as a pastor, to bring you truth, to bring you something to stir you, to passionately pursue the master. The enemy will tempt you to change your gaze so you can change your direction. Where your eyes go, your body does follow in suit. Yes? You know this if you were ever changing lanes. Sometimes some of y'all go to peak what's on the left lane and you look and your, your whole body turns. And you... How many ever did that before, right? Right? Y'all did it. Some of y'all laughing while you did it. Some of y'all don't have a car today because you did it. Um, where your gaze goes, your direction goes, right? We've all been there. And that same thing happens spiritually where your gaze is. That's where your attention goes. I ain't come here to read. I came here to hit home runs. That's why Hank Aaron was able to hit the shot he did. And so there's a few things that this passage brought to mind as Joshua was uh, dealing with this. It's an incredible passage. And can I, can I share with you just a few simple truths, real simple truths that this passage brought to me as, as a pastor. And I want to share them with you. Can I do that this morning? So here it is. When we look at Joshua chapter 9 and we look at this passage, we realize a few things that Joshua did wrong and we can learn from them. So when we're looking at this passage, number one, we have to realize consult godly wisdom. Is that so hard? Ask somebody if this makes sense, right? Does this make sense Oftentimes we create graphics and things of that nature here at the church or, or documents and we hand them, we, uh, we forward them to the rest of the staff and we go, does this all look right? Does this make sense? And things that I didn't see, one other staff member will go, oh, that right here, that's, that is misspelled. There's a misquotation uh, here. There's a mispunctuation here. This actually should be a different, you follow what I'm saying? Why? Because a different set of eyes brings a different perspective. And when you're doing and making decisions like treaties, you should consider who you're making a treaty with. You should consider the people that will be directly affected by that decision. Does that make sense? Because many of us, many times, we don't consult godly wisdom because we want to seem like we got it all together. Friends, that's, listen, that is called pride. Say it with me. Pride. I've done this before. That's routine. Everybody say routine. It's, I've done it before. We've done this. I'm really good at this. I don't really need to consult anybody else. Friend, that's pride. That's routine. That's not wise. How many times do you consult people that have been in the same place you're trying to navigate? You're trying to get through something in your life and there's people right in this very room that have gone through that very thing but you're too prideful to ask somebody, hey, what about this? What about that? Navigate by yourself. You end up by yourself. Joshua heard the proposal and the scriptures tell us that he never gave any any thought wisdom to the people around him you know the scripture never tells us that he consulted anyone in, with power or position not once second thing leaning on the holy spirit 
for discernment. God, is this you? Is this you? Stop and say, God, is this you? Are you in this? Listen, something that simple can help change your life. See, the Gibeonites were very clever in dealing with Joshua. What did they do? They knew Israelites' history, their laws, even the instructions of Moses that I just read to you in Deuteronomy, right? They knew if you sign a treaty, if you have a treaty, you better keep it. You got to keep it. And they knew. The enemy loathes. The enemy knows and loathes everything that God has for you. Maybe not, he doesn't know everything that God has for you. But he loathes everything God has for you. They did their homework. They use the very things of God as a cover for their own agenda. The enemy will use things that look like it's God, but it's not. It's very difficult to have the sermon of what is right and wrong when you're operating in the flesh. There's some in this room, you've allowed things in your life that are not of God. You've allowed things in your life that are not of God and you're wondering why you don't hear from God. Because you've severed nerve endings in your spirit, man. And you're not allowing God to speak to you because some things in your life are not of him. And you wonder, why can't I feel God anymore? Did he leave me? No, you left him. He's still where he was. Your heart has been slipped away. You've given it to other things. The flesh only looks out for itself. It does. There are things that will attack your family and you have to pray for God to reveal what that is. You have to pray. God, show me what that is. Well, Pastor Tony, I'm not that spiritual. I don't really believe that there's a devil. That's exactly what he wants you to believe. If he can lay low, if he can stay under the radar and discourage you, my goodness, he doesn't care if you don't believe in him. He doesn't care. He can care two cents about whether you believe he exists or not. As long as you don't walk in God's will for your life. He could give a lick. He could give a rip about any of that. Listen, just don't follow through with what what God has for you. You ready? There are things that will attack your family and you have to know how to respond to them. You have to know how to uh, maneuver them. The devil will never want any benefits that God has for you. Third thought. Cover in prayer. Simply cover in prayer. Prayer cover. Cover prayer. In other words, Lord, I'm about to make a decision that I think is you, but no matter what, I'm still going to wait. I want to make sure I'm getting it right. I want to make sure I'm getting it right. So God, this is what I feel like you're doing. This is what I feel like you want me to do. There's these people. They say they come from a far country. Uh, I don't know. I I don't know. You know, but, but, but Lord, do you want me to sign this agreement do you want me to sign this treaty i believe heaven would have erupted and said don't sign the treaty don't sign the treaty and if they would have prayed and sought god but no we're we're steamrolling through people we're 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 taking out countries left and right we're successful everything is working out i got this one Well, that one caused them to miss it. They never covered it in prayer. The Bible goes on to say that they never inquired at all to the Lord. 
Are you inquiring about every decision you're making? No, not whether you need to brush your teeth or get dressed to get to work. Those are standard. Do them. Do them. You don't need to pray about them. Pastor Tony said it's all right. Do those things. I'm telling you right now that there are decisions that you you make every day that are routine. And sometimes you got to stop and go, God, is this you? Joshua signed a treaty without asking God. And most of us would go, hello, right? But how many of us have signed treaties with the enemy in our lives? Settling with where we are, what we've done. I'm telling you today, look at me. Don't sign the treaty. Don't give up. Don't stay where you are. Passionately pursue him. Go after God and say, God, I know that I'm weary in battle. But guess what? I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. Lord, I don't know what's going on in my life right now. But I want you. I need you. I desperately want to seek you. Oh, my, my, my. They never stopped. They never prayed. Verse 14. An isolated Christian is a weak Christian. An isolated Christian is a weak Christian. Period. That's it. No ifs, no ands, no buts. Think of it. You and I had the privilege of bringing all of our needs and requests to God. And we choose to say, I got this one. The God that created the heavens and the earth, we say... I know better. The God that forgives your soul and stands with you even through your darkest hour. No God, I got this. Does that make sense to you? Does it make sense to me? And as Christians, we tend to rely on our emotions, our analysis, our track record. And that's what Joshua did. Why? He signed the treaty. So here's the good news. You can go deeper in your faith today. You can decide. Some of you, some of you have a, can you shoot me a pen? Throw me a pen real quick. Some of you have a, I should have caught that. I'm better at that next time. Some of you have your pen in hand. You ready? Let me just sign. What do I sign? And this message comes to you this morning. The pen has almost hit the paper and you're about to sign. And God says, don't sign the treaty. Don't sign it. Don't sign away your life. Don't sign away your passion. Don't sign away your pursuits. But but God, but this looks so good on paper. Everything I want is right here. I just need to just, just. God says, don't. I gave my son so you won't settle. I gave my son so you won't settle. Don't sign the treaty. Don't do it. And I realize. In my life, how many times did I sign? How many times did you sign in your finances? How many times did you sign off in your relationships? How many times did you sign off in your faith? In areas of your life, you've let God, you've get, okay, okay, okay. I'll sign, just leave me alone. I don't want any more struggles. My brother said earlier, I put my, uh, God wants to rain on us. And we pull out an umbrella because it gets messy. I'm dirty. You know what happens when dirt and rain mix? My life gets muddy. And you know what happens to mud? People get stuck. I don't want to get stuck, God. I don't want your rain and my dirt to mix because I get stuck all the time. I get stuck. I don't want to get stuck. I want to get unstuck. 
The only way to get unstuck is never to allow rain on my life. I, I never want that. I never want that. And some of you have put your pen right on your paper and God says, don't sign the treaty. Don't sign the treaty. Put your pen down. Put your pen down. Don't sign the treaty. My plan for you is greater. I set up an entire plan for you. You're supposed to take over this land. And now you're giving up the land because you're tired. Don't make decisions when you're tired. You know that, right? Don't make decisions when you're tired. Don't make decisions when you're weary. And don't make decisions without being covered in prayer. The Bible does not tell us how Joshua and the Hebrews found out that they were imposters and they were lying. They set him up, man. They set him up. But the Bible does say that they had to honor their commitments. Look at me. Every head up looking at me for a moment. I want you to hear me and hear me closely. The moment you sign the treaty, you forfeit your right for blessings with that in hand. Does, can God make something out of it? Yes, because he's God. But you forfeit the land he's given you. You forfeit the blessings he's given you. Don't do that. Take the pen off of the paper and don't sign that treaty this day. Father God, I've spoken your word. You've given me a word and I've spoken it. God, everything else is up to you. Have your way today in everything we do. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah.